Welcome to the CG Radio Podcast. I'm your host, Kilma. Whether you are a DJ, producer, promoter, or aspiring label owner, you're going to want to tune into our podcast each and every month. We talk to amazing, successful industry professionals making a difference in this scene. They share their stories, their insight, and experience. Today, I'm talking with Ritesh of Ticket Ferry. If you are a promoter, whether your productions are big or small, I think you need to take notes on this episode. If you are an artist, by the end of our talk, I know you'll truly understand the pressure promoters are under both financially and emotionally while trying to build the reputation and create a space for artists and partygoers to connect. Let's start with you. What is your role at Ticket Ferry? And what does your day-to-day look like? Um, okay, so officially CEO, which means everything. <laughs> it's everything from building the tech. I push code every day uh, to working with clients on customer support stuff, resolving things for consumers, building new product roadmaps, doing partnerships, fundraising, trying to make sure we don't run out of money, building the roadmap for growth, getting press, um, and everything I haven't mentioned, uh, dealing, you know, coordinating different parts of the team, just everything possible. And then I fly so much that I'm kind of doing 60 plus flights a year. So you have to try and do some of that while you're on the run. So a lot of work gets done in Ubers between meetings as well. Um, and a lot of work gets done on planes. You are a man of many hats and it actually kind of reminds me of the DJ industry where you're like, you're brander, you're promoter, and you're also throwing parties, but you're also making music and you're doing your gigs yeah. and everything all at once. Can you tell us about Ticket Ferry? Who uses it? How do they use it? And what are the benefits of using it? So actually a few different types of people use it now, but it started with a really basic basic goal, which was to take people running shows, whether that's a 500-person gig, a 100-person gig, or a 20,000-person 20, show, and make those shows as successful as possible. And the biggest way you can do that is to try and reduce the financial risk of running a gig because that's the thing that's going to be the key to you sticking around is that. And every single time that you run a show, by the time you announce it, you have publicly broadcast that you're going to spend all that money. So, you know, you announce a festival and you're like, okay, it's in nine months time. And I have literally just told an entire city or an entire country that I'm risking 5 million bucks, for example. And now you've got a countdown timer between that day you announce and the day your show finishes to make back that money. And if you don't make it back, you never make it back. Because most people, I'd say everyone, is not going to buy a ticket for a show that's already happened. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and so you kind of have this really compressed time frame where the pressure is on and you have to do as much as possible to fill that venue. And if you have control of the bar to get people in there as early as possible, uh, if you're the talent buyer to make sure that you can get an ROI on at least a certain portion of the talent you're booking, because if you don't do that, then, and they're going to be the expensive people, you, A, will lose money on the show, but B, you don't have the creative license to book other artists as well, where you're actually trying to do things that differentiate you from every other event. You know, there's always the, the ones that everyone books, but the thing that makes you unique as an event producer is this, the stuff that's a personal expression of your taste. So the biggest thing for us is to take the event promoter and actually make them profitable and successful. And then recently we've been doing a lot of work directly with artists and managers and, and people that are much more in the background where, you know, traditionally we haven't had, they haven't had a reason to use us, but some of the fan engagement stuff we have actually makes it quite nice for those companies to use us as well because the artist gets a level of engagement and data that they wouldn't have had directly from each promoter and they get the whole tour. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Ritesh explained something in a way I've never quite heard explained before. We chat more on ROI or return on investments because at the end of the day, we want promoters to, if not sell out these shows, make their money back. So how does one become profitable? Stay tuned. But first, I recall hearing this tune on a Franklin Watts exclusive mix for the 219 Boys Low Life Sessions. Their podcast has actually led me to some amazing artists and labels. This tune, I could not help but sing along, is called Watch Me, featuring Rihanna Rose and none other but the producer Franklin Watts. Oh, oh, oh. 
cheese and cream, touch it. Baby, I'm free. Bounce, bounce to the beat. Watch it when I move my feet. Want it? My peaches and cream, touch it. Baby, I'm free. Bounce, bounce to the beat. Watch it when I move my feet. Want it? My peaches and cream, touch it. Baby, I'm free. Bounce, bounce to the beat. Watch it when I move my feet. Want it? My peaches and cream, touch it. Baby, I'm free. boy as a bounce to the beat a lot of things that really stood out to me and actually leads into the next question I wanted to ask you the nitty-gritty in your opinion what is it you feel promoters need to be considering in order to sell out these shows what does it take to sell tickets um so here's the thing every single thing about selling tickets to a show is psychology if you, you need to convince someone who might go to your event that the experience is going to be great. The art, I mean, let's just take music shows just because that's a simple one to think about. That the artists are going to be amazing. That even if they're artists that they haven't necessarily heard about, that you've, you've presented it in the right way where they're still going to have an amazing time. What's the experiential side of things? What's the branding? Do they feel safe? Do they feel like the crowd is going to be good? Is it so, you know what you have to be able to convince someone to choose your experience over someone else, uh, some you know something else they could be doing? Why are they not just going to dinner and then going to and going bar hopping? So everything is about psychology, and the more you can lower barriers to someone buying in their brain, the more likely you are to sell the ticket. And at the end of the day, you want that, and then you want to build over time a trust that your ticket buyers have in you that every single time they buy a ticket to your gig, 
that they're going to have a great experience. So it's not just about the one-time thing. It's can you maintain longevity within your audience and your community? I've never actually heard anybody explain it quite that way before, especially that it's that psychology to convince them that they're going to have such a great time at your show. What do you think is probably one of the more surprising bits of knowledge you've acquired while working in this industry? Um, <laughs> basically, everyone knows what they're doing and nobody knows what they're doing. Like At the end of the day, you're guessing. A lot of the time you're guessing. Um, I was on a call actually before I'm speaking to you and a promoter that I was speaking to the first time said that they booked a gig. It was a pretty... It was a big act, and I won't say who it was, but it was a big act in a, main, in a major city in the US. And they thought that once they put it on sale, and I'm quoting now, it would be on autopilot and it would, it would sell itself. And that didn't happen. And it doesn't, it's not that the artist is bad, it's not that the venue's bad. Sometimes those circumstances just don't fit, and there isn't enough momentum in your show. So, you know, like a lot of the time when there's a hot gig, other, you're hearing people talk about it in your, in your circles, right? If that's not happening, if you don't see enough people posting about it, you don't feel like it's worth actually committing your money early, then you're, you might be, in fact, most people are going to be thinking of a, I'm going to wait and see. And if, if I feel that there's enough people I know that are going, only then I'll commit. And what happens is that that then has a vicious circle effect in the sense that everyone delays and then suddenly the early sales didn't happen that group of 10, 10 buddies that were definitely going to go now none of them are going or you know three of them were like you know I'm definitely going and then they do a poll amongst the other seven and everyone's kind of so-so and they don't really know what they're going to plan to do maybe there's a house party maybe there's something else that's happening right and then not just the three out of ten go and like no one goes because herd mentality is not there mm -hmm. suddenly people are scrambling and they're just like well, why didn't this work and actually they don't know why it didn't work mm -hmm. there's no real way to measure it and this can happen uh, if you're a start, you know an upstart promoter and you've just started throwing shows or you could be 10 years in sometimes it just doesn't make sense and kind of shows that <laughs> everyone knows what they're doing and no one knows what they're doing Definitely seen that where these brand spanking new promoters that have no idea what they're doing fill a club and then a, a seasoned promoter can sometimes struggle to get people uh, at their events. It's just, yeah, no one well, knows. Here's, here's the example. Mm -hmm. I was 19 when I threw my first show and we announced it at three weeks notice and I convinced... Uh, 700 cap club to let me have it on a Saturday night in a major city and convince an agency to let me book Andy C and Optical and DJ Hype and Bad Company as a 19 year old with zero credentials and everyone thought we were crazy and there was nowhere near enough lead time to actually promote it properly and we were packed in the first 45 minutes to an hour. That's amazing. <laughs> That's amazing. Can you balance work and play? Can you switch off? Ritash gives his insight on that. But first, 
As a jungle music lover, Inside Info has a place in my heart forever. This tune was released on Viper Recordings a few years back featuring Nyx. It's called Real World. I can never get your attention. Do you ever do anything else? What are you even trying to accomplish? It's not like it's going to amount to anything. You're living in a virtual reality. Your priorities are all fucked up. I think you're going fucking crazy. You know what? You need to see the real world.
everyday life, family, friends, work. How do you manage distraction? Um, it's really useful being able to push code and log into a server in the middle of a festival dance floor just in case something's going wrong. I do that a lot. So <laughs> you can balance work and play as long as you're very conscious all the time. Because at the end of the day, when you're in, when you're in the entertainment industry, there's no switching off. You know, like my job is at all times of day to address the needs of whichever shows are using us, whether that's help with an on-sale, whether it's something that they need to, to from a data perspective, it's you know, the gates are open and something needs to happen. Uh, you know, I'm on a, on a WhatsApp group with a festival promoter and he doesn't have time to issue guest tickets. So I'm getting messages during a festival going, well, can this, can you, can you do this, you know, donkey work for me? I have to do all of it because at the end of the day, it's my job. Mm-hmm. And you just have to be with of that mindset that you should never switch off because the moment you switch off, you're not helping people that, I mean, you know, not everyone, every, you know, that's lying. Everyone needs help. Mm-hmm. Whether your show is sold out, whether it's struggling, there's, you haven't solved every single problem that you could ever have. So, that means that you have to fit your personal life around that and your personal life actually becomes a distraction more than anything else because you're working 24 seven. So it just has to be like, you've got to maintain that balance. And I actually, and and, and sometimes it's just focus. It's looking after your health and being sure that you can be of, your health is good enough that, you're working to your most efficient level and that way distractions actually can be a part of your life because you can make an hour or two for them at the end of the day if you didn't have that you'd go crazy if all you did was work yeah absolutely i feel like uh even for my own personal stuff that i've got going on i feel like i'm always trying to get ahead of stuff so that if something comes up i can actually deal with it in the moment but uh, yeah, business owners, we never shut it off. <laughs> in terms of who uses the platform, it's I think the most value is promoters that are taking a big risk, whether it's on one show or they're running a hundred shows, and you know three or four festivals or one one annual festival that they're putting their heart and soul into. Like everyone needs everyone needs help, and and they want to make sure that what they're doing is as sustainable as possible. And so we kind of approached this with a few different things. One was well, how can we generate as much revenue as possible? And that can be a few different things. One can be, well, let's get more people into the room. Now, that's a really simple way of looking at it, but you could have a sold out show and I could still increase revenue for you by reducing other costs. You know, Can you gauge which artists you should book? Could, can, can tools in the system help you to automate ads so you're spending half the money on your paid ads? Is there a way to save salaries so that the things that your team were doing manually are no longer done manually? annually and now it's done by the platform through automation and you suddenly saved a hundred grand you know there's all these different ways to to squeeze revenue out of what you're doing currently and then there's other stuff like you know you're probably spending i did a demo recently and i showed one feature in our reporting and the girl who's the ticketing manager of this festival was like well i actually do i just spend three hours a day doing what you just showed me manually every single day and 
that time freed up to do stuff that's more important is also really valuable, right? Is the festival industry behind on technology? As a creative person, do you need to know about it? What are your options? More with Ritash, but first, do you like house music? My friend, the engineer, actually did this remix of my tune. It's called Lazyville. Hope you dig it.
And then there's just festival is still not very technical. Sorry, festival industry is still not very technical as an industry. There's a lot of spreadsheets. There's a lot of paper. There's five or six different platforms. There's one company you're using for the ticketing. One's doing the ad, the um, the adult optimization. You got Google Sheets. You got Google Docs. You got attachments flying around. All of that needs consolidating. So basically, the whole point of this platform is not let's be a ticketing company, let's be an ad thing. It's if you can, if we can consolidate every single platform you use currently and put it all in one place, and then provide smart automation between all the layers. That ultimately is what I and the rest of the company think is going to make you successful. And so that's the whole point of it. Wow. Wow. That's so smart. And you're right. The industry isn't always so technical and we're not always as efficient because of it. Nor should you be. You know, at the end of the day, you're a creative person, right? If you're a festival producer, it's a creative process. Mm -hmm. The technology shouldn't, technology shouldn't only aid you and not get in the way, but you shouldn't have to know about it. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's our job. It's really important for people to know that there's a genuine desire to help. You know, I, I come from running 400 gigs before starting this and realizing that one in three will make money, the other one will be a little flat, and the third one yeah. will cancel out the profits for the first one. And, you know, and the, the, I think the thing that resonates a lot when we're talking to very established promoters is that we've all had that moment where a show's not done as well as we thought. And you've gone to the ATM at 11.58 p.m. and you've taken out the daily withdrawal limit. You've waited till 12.01 and you've taken out the next day's daily withdrawal limit. And that money was supposed to pay your rent and you hand it to an artist because that's what a good promoter does. And as much as we can help those people who are so passionate about what they're doing actually make that sustainable and, and can make it even their full-time thing if they choose to do so, that's really the, the, the purpose of the company. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Did something really stand out to you today? A new piece of information? Was something shared here that inspired you to do more in your career? Let us know. And if you're a producer and would like to get your music played on the show, make sure you contact us. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Cyber Groove Radio Podcast.